Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will be looking at Genesis 31. We're still in this narrative where Jacob is preparing to leave, received the dream, the vision from the Lord, indicating it was time to leave. And this entire chapter is about that. And we looked at the first 16 verses in our previous episode, looking at the signs that surrounded uh, and indicated that this was time uh, for Jacob to go. Of course, the most prominent one is the very clear direction of the Lord, but there were other things like uh, a toxic atmosphere, the support of your family, uh, that you've given a full faith effort in all that you can do uh, up to this point, and you've left it better than when you arrived. And and the final recognition there is also realizing that your departure may may bring peace. Uh, and And all of those things combined, this is what we see in the text. Well, let's continue in the text then, picking it up in verse 17. Uh, 17 down through 21. Let's take a moment and read that. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired and paid an Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. All right, 17 to 21 here, we see that God's people ought to exercise faith in the midst of difficult circumstances and strive to avoid petty retribution. All right, so departure is at hand. How you leave is very important. We looked at the signs of when it is uh, indicative that you should leave, and uh, you know we we covered that. And but now we're looking at the departure itself. This one actually hits home for me, and not just in Jacob's life, but having been now in in pastoral ministry for a while and seeing, uh, you see the good side of things, and and there are wonderful things, and then you see the really nasty side too. You see the you see you see the worst of the worst. And the things that hurt worst are, are the things that, that people within the church can, that they can do to you, the things that they say about you, you, you know, you recognize that, um, you know, you obviously, I'm not trying to compare that with the things that martyrs have gone through and other things, but the most pain that can happen, uh, will happen within the church at the hands of believers and, you know, believers will treat other people in the church and their pastors in a way that they would never treat unbelievers. And, and maybe some of that is indicative of, of a spiritual reality or, you know, lack of a spiritual reality in their life. I'm not, I'm not here to judge that, but I will say that watching how people leave the church, there is a right way to leave and there's a wrong way to leave. And this isn't just within the church. This is a, the way you, you know, you exit a job or do things like that. And, 
you know, to put it in very simple terms, you could burn bridges or you could leave on good terms. And which do you want to do? I mean, some people, I guess, opt for burning bridges and they think that that's somehow, you know, going to send them out with a bang. Uh, that's really probably not the best way to go. Uh, hard to imagine a scenario where burning a bridge is the right thing to do. I mean, unless you're in an all out war, but we're not talking about nation against nation here. We're saying, you know, all things considered, you don't want to burn bridges as you leave. And so there is a right way to do things. And then there's a wrong way and trying to get last little jabs on the way out, even if you're not fully burning the bridge, but you're really, you know, souring everything and you're leaving a bad taste in, in the mouth of, of those around, you know, that's just not the way to go. And sadly here, you know, it was encouraging to look at the first 16 verses, but now when we get here and, and we see some of this stuff start to happen, it's like, okay, you know, here comes the old Jacob again. And, and you, you can tell in the 20 years that he's been in a part of this family, not a whole lot of spiritual maturity has occurred. There is some mellowing out. I mean, there's a recognition of the Lord, uh, after the Lord comes to him, but you know, we're, we're getting set up here. And, and the point is, is if God tells you that it's time to go, and he clearly did in Jacob's case, then Jacob's responsibility is to just walk by faith, right? He's got an example in the family. Think about this. God called Abraham out of Ur. This is his grandfather and basically said, time to leave, you know, and Abraham followed him and he didn't burn bridges on the way back out or anything. And in fact, we know that those bridges were still intact because uh, when they finally have a child, Isaac, uh, they have to find a wife for Isaac by going to this land. And Isaac's uh, wife is the sister of Laban, who we are uh, you know, encountering in this, this whole narrative here with Jacob. And, and so the whole point is, is there's a, a right way to leave and a wrong way to leave. This is, this is going to put a pretty, pretty bad taste in the mouth of some, all right? God's people ought to exercise faith in the midst of difficult circumstances, even as a transition or departure, you should strive to avoid petty retribution. All right. So let's take a look at this verse 17 and 18. Uh, the first actions that we see as he's getting ready to go are under the pretense of obedience. So it all starts off right. Okay. Jacob arose, set his sons and his wives on camels, you know, nothing too deep here from an exegetical standpoint, you know, he's obeying God comes to him. He's having the discussion with his wives. They say, whatever the Lord has uh, put in your heart to do, whatever he has said to do, go ahead and do it. So he's doing it. 18, he drove away all his livestock, all his property that he'd gained the livestock in his possession that he had acquired and paid in Aram. Uh, to go to the land of Canaan uh, to his father, Isaac. And then we just stop right there. There's nothing negative in that. There's nothing surreptitious. There's nothing hidden. There's no clandestine. Uh, you know, that that's going to come out later, but all we know is he's obeying right now. Okay. So it, it gets started on the right foot. Now, as we move into 19, uh, we, we see this, that needless sin can potentially be a hindrance. So we get this statement in verses 17 and 18, then 19, Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel stole her father's household gods. Okay, so now we get a little glimpse and insight into the pagan aspect of the family that, that Abraham left. Abraham was a pagan. He was religious, but he was a pagan when he was called out of his homeland. 
and God is just calling him for no other reason than, than God wanted to do that, and he had ordained that from eternity past. Abraham hadn't done anything to merit that. There's so many great lessons here with regard to salvation because God doesn't look down through the corridor of time and see that we're going to turn to him and love him. No, that's not the basis of his election. He chooses us simply because he is a loving, merciful God, and that was his choice. And it's not because of anything that we had done, not by righteous works that we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us, we're actually told. And and so we have to keep that in mind. And we're seeing a little bit of that pagan uh, aspect of, of Abraham's family coming out here in the fact that Laban has his household gods. This has been very common in that time, but it's also a, a glimpse not only into Laban and that extended family, but that he had passed it on to his children, Rachel, namely, by the way, the one that Jacob loves. He loves her more than Leah. And that there has been very little in the way of uh, theological instruction and spiritual growth in Jacob and in his family with regard to the influence that he has on his wives. I mean, you would think if somebody came in and, you know, wanted to bring something that, you know, was outside the parameters of the Bible for worship into our house and said, this is going to help me in my worship of God, I, you know, I'm sitting here right now saying, I think I would have a problem with that. If somebody is going to bring in a statue or an idol, an actual idol, and they say, listen, you know, I, I believe in Jesus, but I think this will really, really help me in my walk with the Lord. You know, we're going to sit down and pour through the scriptures and say, yeah, but is it really, is it really going to help you? Uh, and, and by the way, how does this conform with the rest of scripture? And we're not going to allow that. So, you know, there's so much just packed into this. So, but then we see this clandestine. I mean, we get the verb that she actually stole her father's household gods. Uh, So, you know, there's thievery, there's, uh, you know, there's theft there. But also it is, you know, it's sneaky. She waits till he's gone. Of course, you know, a thief isn't going to do it in broad daylight. We get principles from that in the scripture as well. You know, if the thief, you know, if the owner of the house knew at what time the thief was going to break in, he would have stayed up. He would have been there and then the thief would be deterred, right? You know, the thief doesn't want to have uh, unnecessary confrontation. And so they're going to try and wait till the house is empty. So, you know, this is planned. This is premeditated. Uh, you know, and, and it's definitely sinful. And this is going to potentially be a hindrance as the narrative continue, uh, continues on. Now, you know, now we also are faced with this question that why, why did Rachel decide that it was a good idea to steal the household idols? She probably thought that they were going to bring her some benefit, some blessing. I mean, she's probably not thinking I'm trying to be cruel to my father and take something precious of him, regardless of their theological value. I think they have no value. Okay. I'll just get that out there. But we have to look at why is she wanting to do this in the first place? So there's probably a lack of faith. Uh, could be a matter of deemed inheritance. Maybe they actually weren't just wood. Maybe they were covered in precious metal and she thought that uh, they were hers. And keep in mind the preceding verses when Jacob is talking to his wives and he is laying out what the Lord has said. 
and getting their approval and all that stuff. Remember this, Rachel and Leah answer him in verse 14, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? Now you stop there. Uh, well, well, keep going for a second. For he has sold us and he has indeed devoured our money. Okay, so uh, this is an interesting here because implied within this, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? The implied answer is no. And there could be, that could provide the context to help understand at least in part why it is that Rachel decides to become a thief <laughs> and steal her father's household gods. Maybe they are covered in something more valuable than you know just a piece of wood. Maybe they have some intrinsic value uh, to them because of just the materials. And since they're not getting anything, maybe this is that one last jab. I'm going through and I'm taking this and uh, at least I'll get something out of the deal. It could be something like that. But the interesting thing that we know of this, and of course this is all subsumed under the sovereignty of God, is that this is one of the chief factors in Laban's pursuit of them. He's going to come back and notice this, and you know this is going to be uh, an issue for him. Now, this isn't the chief thing. Uh, he notices that they flee and he's going to pursue after them. But then one of the accusations when he catches up to them is, why are you stealing from me? That's going to come out. And, you know, all of this, L listen, you know, you count your losses. I have lost so much over the years and, you know, it's just material stuff. God can replace it if he wants to. And I probably have more material stuff than I need at this point in my life. And I, you know, all of that. At some point, you're going to have to be willing to walk away. Now, keep in mind that we've already had, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a glimpse into Jacob's wealth. He is not a poor man. He is not destitute. He's actually very wealthy, even according to, especially according to the, that time. And so does she need that little bit of extra? Does she need that if they are indeed a part of what she thinks might rightly, rightfully be hers? You know, God will supply all that they need and already has for all of Jacob's family. So, uh, but this is allowed in under the sovereignty of God so that they can have this discussion with Laban later on, even though God's going to be mediating over that as well. All right. Uh, that brings us to verses 20 and 21, that there is needless trickery. Uh, Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. So, um, and this this verb to trick, to deceive, uh, th this isn't a play on his own name here. Uh, the, the verb could be translated to steal the heart of. I mean, so really it's a crushing, rather than looking at it from a, a standpoint of, you know, he's just crafty little person, his actions, uh, you know, really, really were hurtful. And again, this goes back to how are you leaving? Because when you leave in such a way that you're burning bridges uh, and you cause pain in your departure, there is a right way to leave. There's a wrong way to leave. This is the wrong way, not only through the deception, not only through the trickery uh, and, and the thieving here, but like it hurts. 
You know, I can think of a wonderful, wonderful family that was a part of our church uh, where we are in Florida. Florida itself as a state, I think, is is a very transitionary, you know, uh, <laughs> transitory state. People come, they go, people visit, they leave. Yeah, and unless you're like very committed to, to living here and you grew up here, you know, people like the idea of Florida, then they come here for a couple of years and they're like, okay, done with that. And they move on, or they might stay for four or five years, but still, we see that all the time. Uh, we do see people that stay. I'm not saying that there aren't people that stay, but there's, you know, it's more transitory than any other place I've ever lived. And so, you know, I remember a couple, and we just love them dearly to this day. Still wonderful people. They they moved to a, another part of the country, and we knew that they were leaving, you know, they didn't try and hide it. They didn't just sneak out the door and then send us a, you know, a text message after they were long gone saying, Oh, by the way, we left and we're done and bye, you know, <laughs> uh, which by the way has happened, you know, even very recently. And it's very, very hurtful. You know, there, there's a right way to leave the church, uh, and not just in the eyes of like the pastor, but the rest of the people, right. You know, I'm bringing this to like practical application. But when you sneak off and then no one knows and then no one knows what's happened and or in the midst of sneaking off and people are wondering what is going on, you know, we haven't seen this couple for a while, but then accusations come and other things like this and now there's hurt, you know, it's just very, very difficult. And so that kind of comes out here with this verb, you know, Jacob stole the heart of Laban the Aramean. Laban has no idea what's going on and he comes back one day and all of a sudden his whole life is upended and he has no idea that is painful, you know, and communication is key. You've got to trust the Lord in this and, you know, let no corrupt communication proceed from your mouth. Think very practically in the book of Ephesians. And, you know, this doesn't mean that we have to disclose everything, but this is not a military tactic here. And so there should be some communication, 20 years, and you don't even have the decency to say, okay, it's now time for me to go. We're going to make our plans. Yeah. Maybe you're trying to avoid another con, you know, conversation where Laban's going to try and say, stick around. I don't think Laban is going to say that this time. Why? Because the rest of Rachel and Leah's brothers, you know, uh, the other of Laban's children, they're already grumbling at the beginning of this chapter. They're not happy. Laban doesn't seem to be happy either. He thought he was going to get the prosperity that he had experienced uh, for the first 14 years. That's why he asked Jacob to stay around again and work for him. But this time it appears that he wasn't as prosperous because Jacob did what he did and was able to make his flocks increase and Laban's kind of dwindled and just stayed there. And so now there's this grumbling. It's very possible that and we don't know. We'll never know. This is secondary knowledge here. But at some point, you have to trust the Lord. If the Lord has come to you and given you clear direction and it's time to move, and you're talking family members, everything, like you don't just pack up your bags and leave one night. You you communicate, right? That's why we were saying this isn't a military tactic. You know, This isn't some kind of strategy here. Uh, this is just common sense when we look at relations and things like that, that you should communicate. Jacob, uh, well, Laban, excuse me, is, is hurt by this. And by the way, we go back to verse 19, Jacob had gone to shear his sheep. That's not necessarily a, you know, one day and then he's back at home. Keep in mind, 
you know, more of a nomadic culture where free open range of livestock and herds. So wherever his home is, it's very possible that the sheep shearing, especially when you're talking about huge, you know, flocks, that this is a several days long, you know, or a day or two long thing where he's not coming home. He's, he's out there from sun up to sundown. He's not coming back. He's taking food out with him and all the people to work so that they can shear the sheep. This is a big production. That's why it's safe the day that he goes out to shear the sheep, that he's not coming back. Uh, and that's why Rachel goes in, but also the sheep shearing, because it takes time, this gives Jacob his opportunity. This provides him his window to leave so that he gets this head start again, trickery, needless trickery. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just sad to see that now you have to recognize as well, the end of the last chapter, verse 36 of chapter 30, we see that they had set three days journey between them already. So they already have that head start. Now they get even more. And this is just setting up for a confrontation. And it's possible at this point, at this juncture in the story, that with what we know, uh, you know, talking about petty retribution, needless sin, all of these things that are factoring in here, the things that follow that take us through to the end of the chapter could have all been avoided with just honest communication and a modicum of faith that God is able to oversee and superintend. And I think the takeaway for us is that A, we've got to be really careful in how we manage our relationships in our families, in our church, in our job, uh, our work situation, all of those things. We've got to be careful how we manage those. We need to be careful how we leave. You know, it's one thing, like I said, we looked at the the indicators of, of uh, recognizing the time to leave. That's fine. But if, if you've come to that conclusion, then you need to be careful how you're actually going to do that. And even your departure will require faith. And faith sometimes means that you're willing to disclose things that you think, well, if I say this, that could be bad. Trust God in this. If you've got, if, if you've got peace in your heart and you're settled that this is the right thing and everything has come together for this and it's now time to go, then you need to trust God with that. And that's, that's very, very important. Well, that's where we will leave it today. We'll pick it up back in verse 22 in our next episode. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.